Okay, okay, okay. And so here's what I'm going to do, because I know we like the hymns. We're going to sing a hymn every Sunday until y'all no longer know the song. When we get to a Sunday where you just don't know it and you just don't sound good, we're going to stop singing them, okay? Okay, so put the words on the screen. I got a new one for you this week. So let's see if you can do it. You ready? There is fountain Okay, one of these days I'm going to stump you. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. God has approved and accepted me. Jeremiah 29, 11. God has a great plan for my life. Hebrews 13, 5. The Lord will never leave me nor forsake me. Psalm 17, 8. I am the apple of God's eye. Luke 4, 18. The Lord has anointed me. I am anointed. God has a great plan for my life. And I will fulfill my destiny. Before you sit down, fist bump somebody and say, I know my hymns. Look back at that person and say, you must be old. School. Old school. Old school. How many of you really knew that song? Raise your hand if you really knew. Okay. Oh, oh that's the only, only about a fourth of you? Oh, oh. I bet if I played a little bit of... Gangster's Paradise, y'all know that song, wouldn't you? A little bit of Eminem in there, I bet y'all know that. A little bit of Fresh Prince. I whistled for a cab and when it came near, the license plate of Fresh had dice in the mirror. If anything, I could say that this guy was swear, but I thought, nah, forget it. See, y'all got problems, y'all need Jesus. Y'all need to listen to some hymns, some Gaither music is what you need to do. Okay, so we're on a series. You ready? Say, oh yeah. oh, yeah. Okay, cell phones muted. Babies duct taped. Here we go. We're in a series called The Five Gifts of Jesus, and I am milking this thing for everything I can because I love it. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It comes from Ephesians 4, 8 through 13, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but I want you to get it, and I say it every week so you really get it. Jesus is no longer on earth but his body is still here. His body is the church. And he gave everyone gifts, but some people he gave specific gifts of apostle, pastor, prophet, evangelist, and teacher to equip the saints so that his body gets stronger and grows. And then we equip more and it gets stronger and grows and we equip more strong. And we all become mature believers. And so if you're not part of the body of Christ, you need to join a church and be part of the body of Christ. It, don't be one of those weird Christians that is a cut-off piece of the body. You're out there somewhere kind of doing your own thing. You need to be connected to the rest of the body so that it can function well. You understand? So uh, we already went over the five, and then I went back and did an apostolic sermon again and went back last week and did a prophetic one. Today I'm going back to the evangelist. And today in part, let's see, part eight, we're going to talk about this. Being an evangelistic witness. An evangelistic witness for your notes. Evangelistic witness. 
Uh, Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talked last week that when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, one of the things that happens is you can prophesy. You can hear from God and then speak out words of encouragement to others. Another thing that happens is you get to be a witness. It says, And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. The word power comes from the Greek word dunamis, where we get the English word dynamite, and it's referring to explosive power. So one way you can tell if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit or not is if you're excited about telling people about Jesus. It's like you have the cure for cancer, and all you got to do is tell somebody about it, and they'll be cured. Uh, and we should all be doing this. So that's what we're going to talk about today is being a witness. Now, a witness is someone who sees something, experiences something, and then tells about it. There are a lot of Christians who plead the fifth. They've seen God work. They know God's good. But when it comes to telling somebody, they stay silent. You can't do that. If you're going to be a proper witness, you have to tell somebody about it. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Because we're going to read it. But once we read it, it's going to go off the screen. And I'm going to keep going back to it. So you need to have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5. It's the first book of the New Testament, right? Yes, it is. And in Matthew 5, you'll see a lot of red letters if you have a red letter edition. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. We only have two points for today's sermon. If you look on your handouts, uh, that doesn't mean it's going to be short, though. It's still going to be a long sermon. So don't think that when I cut out a point, I cut out time. No, no, no. It's going to be a good hour-long sermon. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt lost its flavor, how can it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing. Everybody say, good for nothing. Yeah. Sometimes I like to say things just to get you to think. I, I'm, not, I'm not fighting on a point. I just want you to think. There are some people that think they're Christians, and they don't like Christians, and so they're just you know, bad Christians. Other people think, well, they were never saved in the first place because there's no fruit of their life. This would be a scripture that would show you that there are Christians who are good for nothing. They're saved, but they're just good for nothing. They're good for nothing because they've lost all of their flavor, and we'll talk about that in a second. The only thing they're good for is to be thrown out and walked on by men when walkways are wet. They do that in North Carolina when it snows, you know. They put salt on the roads. Back in Bible days, they did it so that the vegetation would not grow on the streets because salt would kill the, the vegetation. So you are the salt. Here's what he keeps on saying. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all. All who are in the house. In other words, everybody in your home should know you're a Christian. Everybody at your workplace should know you're a Christian. There should be an obvious difference between you and everybody else in the world. Your Facebook page should not look like everybody else's Facebook page. There should be a difference. Your Instagram page should not look like everybody else. It should be a difference between you and the world's stuff. So everybody can see. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good and excellent deeds and when they see you serving God here's what they'll do they'll glorify your father in heaven so by the way you live you can be a witness that God is real are you with me so I have two points for you today from Matthew 5 13 to 16 point number one is this you are salt you are salt um, he was not talking about the salt content of your body which I know you don't care but just for fun you are 0.4 percent salt if you weigh 200 pounds, you have 75 teaspoons of salt in your body right now. 
That's why you need to drink more water, okay? But he wasn't talking about that. Uh, there's actually salt all through the Bible. I'm going to show you some scriptures. In the Old Testament, there were sacrifices that required salt. Luke 2.13 says this, um, season all your grain offerings, Leviticus, I'm sorry, Leviticus 2.13, season all your grain offerings with salt to remind you of God's eternal covenant. In other words, it's long lasting. Never forget to add salt to your offerings. Obviously, he was speaking to northerners because southerners never forget to add salt to anything, to anything, anything. Numbers 18, 19, whatever is set aside from the holy offerings to the Lord, it is an everlasting, everybody say everlasting, everlasting. covenant of salt before the Lord. So here's what I want you to write down in your Bibles. In Matthew 5, write this down, salt preserves, salt preserves. Salt is symbolic of eternity. It causes something to last. I don't know if you know this or not, but the only thing keeping this world from burning to hell is us, the salt of the earth. We are causing it to last longer and longer till more people can come to Christ. The more we remove Christian principles from society, the quicker that society will die. We've already removed prayer out of schools, right? We've removed the Ten Commandments out of schools. And now look what's going on in schools. And I'm going to tell you something that's going to happen either in my lifetime or my children's lifetime. They're going to, at some point, they're going to remove the Bible out of society and tell you that it's illegal to have it out in public. In my lifetime, I'm going to say, here's why. They're going to say there's hate speech in it. And they're going to ask you to not have your Bibles out in public anymore. We're going to see that in our lifetime. Just last week, I told you about the thing going on with Ground Zero, which is a youth Christian organization here in Myrtle Beach. Last week on Monday night, they had a you know, meeting. I think there were maybe 1,000 Christians that showed up in Myrtle Beach. And um, one of the city council members of Myrtle Beach, a man who's an openly cross-dresser, uh, you look on the news, ask pictures of him in a suit and tie, then pictures of him in a dress. <clears throat> he and his wife, along with a principal of a, of a, of a school right here in town, I'm not going to mention any names, but they both got up and said that they believe that minor children should be able to come to school and choose what gender they're going to be when they come into school. Now, I know y'all think that's crazy. That's just how the world is. We cannot be shocked by that. Jesus was never shocked by sin. He never showed up to somebody and said, I can't believe what you're doing. You are really in bad shape. He never did any of that. He wasn't shocked at the woman that was married five times and living with somebody. He wasn't shocked that Zacchaeus was stealing from people. He simply showed them love. <clears throat> but the point is this, is that the world is going to hell in a handbasket if we don't step up and do our part. Um, Rome, you might not know this, but history says that Rome was the only empire that controlled the entire world. Now, some history books say the Persian Empire and another one, but they never controlled the entire world. Rome was the only one that controlled the entire world. It had the greatest military system that's ever been known on planet Earth. Um, there were Caesars that were in charge of Rome. Caesar is a title, not a name. It's a title like king or so. And no empire has ever risen greater than Rome. So here's my question. How did a nation that is so powerful fall? No one can beat it. No military was stronger than it. How did Rome fall? Why is Rome no longer in existence? It was more powerful than, than, than Standard Oil, Nabisco, Texaco, more bigger than Amazon, Walmart. How did it crumble to the ground? It crumbled to the ground because they self-destructed from the inside out due to immorality. Uh, the further we draw the line away from the Bible, the quicker we're going to self-destruct. 12 out of 14 Caesars were living homosexuals. They just lived as homosexuals, and they all involved minor children, just like we're doing now with schools, telling kids they can walk into school and choose their gender. No military might destroyed them. They were destroyed from the inside out. And the further we draw the line away from the Bible in our businesses, the quicker the business is going to self-destruct. 
the further we draw the line away from the Bible in our homes, the quicker our home is going to self-destruct from the inside out. It's not going to be from the devil. It's going to be from us not preserving the Christian principles that God teaches about. We are salt. We should be preserving. What's, uh, Psalms 86, 2 says this, preserve my soul. And there's three things I want you to see. For you're so good, abounding in love, and plenteous in mercy. And you need to write this down in your Bible in Matthew 5. Write down, salt makes things taste good. Salt makes things taste good. Um, um, all this stuff going on in Myrtle Beach, you know, with the city council and all that and trying to get rid of Ground Zero. I had a bunch of ministry leaders in town uh, texting me and asking me what I think we should do. And I had no idea what to do. Some people were saying we should go out there and have picket signs. Another one said we should, you know, get 10,000 Christians and just pray in tongues out loud in front of everybody and all this kind of stuff. But one of the most wisest people in the community who was, was texting me, uh, they said this. They said we should do nothing. We should just keep doing what we're doing. And, and when they come around us, we should do this. We should show them that God is good, that God loves them, and he's a merciful God. And we do that because they don't know any better. Why would we expect people that don't know Jesus to act like they know Jesus? They don't know Jesus. So the way they're going to know him is if we present ourselves to them in a manner that reflects Jesus Christ. So we don't go and fight and cause strife. That's what they do. We don't argue because they want to argue. And they're lot you can't go with them with logic. I mean... I, I'm thinking, are they teaching biology in school? Like, is there a biology book in school? Hey, you can choose your gender, but here's the biology. We're going to study biology today. And it's, it doesn't make any sense, does it? That's why you can't go to them with logic. We go to them with this. God is good, and he loves you no matter how foolish and disgusting and heinous you are. He's a merciful God, and if he loves me, he can love you too because we both need his mercy. I need his mercy as a Christian every day, and you need his mercy out there as a sinner every single day. We both need his mercy. We have to make Jesus taste good. Uh, so our response needs to be that he's good. Now, keep with that line of thinking for a second, okay, that, that salt makes things taste good, and we need to make Jesus taste good when we talk to people who don't know Jesus. Because keep thinking about that. In Matthew 4.18, it says that Jesus saw two brothers, Simon Peter, that's one person, by the way, Andrew, they were throwing a net into the water, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So Jesus went up to these fishers and said, listen, I'm going to make you all evangelists. I want to make you all my witnesses. I want, I want to train you how to make me taste good, how to win people to Jesus, okay? Listen, it says they immediately left their nets and followed him. And you'll see the word immediately in here again, and I think it's really important. Uh, immediately is an adverb describing how they left. It doesn't have to be in the sentence. It could just say they left. But it describes how they left immediately. And I believe the Holy Spirit intentionally put that word in there for us to see that there's an urgency to what we're talking about today. That there are people that are dying every single day. And there is an urgency to us learning how to be the salt of the earth so we can win more people to Jesus. In other words, I don't want you to leave here and pray about it for three years. I want you to start doing it today. Are you with me? Okay, it goes on and it says this. Uh, they left their nets immediately. A little further up, he saw two brothers, James and John. Now, this is going to be on the test in a few minutes, so be ready. They were sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee. Who were, who were the sons of Zebedee? Tell me their names. Okay, remember that, okay? Repairing nets. <clears throat> he called them to, and immediately they followed him, leaving their boat behind. Okay. So these guys are commercial fishermen. They do this for a living. Now, I, I can picture the Trinity <clears throat> up in heaven talking to Jesus. Hey, we're going to send you down there. You're going to be a baby. You're going to grow up. And uh, we want you to pick out disciples. 
And he says, okay, how many disciples should I get? They say, well, we need you to start with 12. The Trinity likes the number 12. In the Bible, there are 12 gates. There's 12 stones. There's 12 foundations. There's 12 tribes of Israel. And there's 12 disciples, right? Okay. And then they, they're talking, and the Holy Spirit and God said, listen, son, here's what we, need, we think you need to do. We, we want you to pick mainly fishermen. Mainly fishermen. And theologians believe that seven out of 12 disciples were fishermen for a living, okay? And I'm going to show you the scripture that theologians take that, base that off of. It's John 21, 2. It says this, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, there's three, the sons of Zebedee, who were who? James and John, that's five. And it says, and two other disciples were together. So that's how many? Okay, so that's how many? I'm going to send you all to that middle school where you can choose your gender and learn math at the same time, okay? Okay. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. That was, that was not salt. That was not salt. Okay. He said, Peter told him, I'm going to fish. They said, we'll go with you. So they got in the boat. Okay. So they thought, you know what? Over half of the disciples you start with, we want them to be fishermen because we want to use their skill set that they already have ingrained in them to win people for Jesus. What was the skill set that they knew above everything else? It was that bait has to taste good. You can't just stick a hook out there. You got to put something on there that tastes good. The goal that Jesus tried to spend three years teaching them, remember at one point they, they said, we should call down fire and kill them. Jesus like, no, 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 that doesn't taste good. We should tell them they're going to hell. That doesn't taste good. We should tell them how horrible of a sinner they are. That doesn't taste good. What are we going to do? We should tell them that we love them, that God is a God of mercy, and he wants so bad to spend eternity with them that he made an easy way for them to believe in the Son so they could live in heaven forever. That tastes good, right? Okay, Psalms 38, 34, 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. It doesn't say imagine. It's a, when we describe God to people, when we talk to people about God, it needs to be something that they, they can experience for themselves too. I've experienced God, you can experience it. It'd be like if I, I read to you about banana pudding today, and I said, you know what, banana pudding, uh, there's bananas in it, there's pudding in it. I'm not the best cook, well, I should have thought this through. There's Nella wafers, there's um, whipped cream, and if you put it in the refrigerator for like a day, it's even better than that. That's okay. But what if I passed out banana pudding to y'all? Which one would you rather have? You'd rather have it in your hand where you can taste it and see it. Or, or, do you understand? Okay, listen, we got to make God taste good and look good when we tell people about him. And your story is not how bad you were. It's how God, how good God has been to you. It's okay to talk about how bad you were, but the goal is not how bad you were. The goal is how good God's been. And I want to tell you something. Whether you believe this or not, every single person on earth, whether they admit it or not, has a desire to experience God. I don't care what kind of sin they're involved in. They have an innate desire. It was planted in them before they even breathed oxygen to desire a relationship with God. God put it inside of them. All we have to do is tell them about it. They want to experience it. They want to so 
bad. All of you at one point in your life, you can look back and realize, man, I, I, I wanted to know God and I'm so glad I have him in my life now. But I can look back and think, man, I was lost. I was doing my own thing and there was something inside of me that knew this wasn't right. There was something inside of me that had a desire to hear from God and speak to God and experience his goodness, right? So let me tell you what you do. I'm going to make it easy because I don't want to put a heavy weight on you. You tell stories all the time. You talk to people all the time. You're always saying something. I'm just asking you to start talking about God when you're telling that story. I'm going to give you a few examples, okay? So um, I'm going to show you a video in a second. Now, before I do, you're going to be tempted to laugh right away. Hold your laughter in so you can see the whole video, okay? And you can hear it. It's a 15-second video of my grandson, and I've probably shown this video to probably 25 people in the past two weeks. This is my son's in it. So it's my son taking his son to school. And before he drops him off, he asks him three questions. He says, um, are you going to be good? And my grandson says, yeah. He says, um, what's your memory verse? My grandson says, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he says, what kind of boys do girls like? Okay? So, and then you can laugh at that point. But I want you to watch. I've shown this to about two dozen people. Take a look. I love you. I love you too, Dad. You going to be a good boy? Yeah! What's your Bible verse? Genesis 1, where God's beginning to God, he has the heavens and the earth. That's right. And what do girls love? The boys who love Jesus. Yes, boy. <laughs> boys who love Jesus. That's who girls like. Boys who love Jesus. Okay. Every time I show that video, here's what I tell people. God gave me that grandson. I said, let me tell you, his dad, I had his dad in high school, and God got me through, and God allowed me to provide when I was 16 years old for a child, and God helped me parent him and take care of him, and God taught me that I shouldn't give him chocolate milk bottles when he was a baby. I didn't learn that for a while, but God, and let me tell you what God's done now. God gave my son a great wife, and God gave them two great children, and God, 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 it's so easy. And if they don't know God, they'll think, well, could he do that for me? Yeah, he can do it for you if he did it for me. I'll show you another thing I've been doing. So uh, a few weeks ago, I was at a restaurant by myself, and this young waitress comes up and talks to me, and she wasn't my waitress. So when she started talking to me, I thought, well, I'm going to show you pictures of my family. And so I was going through some pictures, and I showed her this picture here. It's of Zach graduating college. And she looked at me, and she said, that's Zach Miller. I said, I said, that's my son. You're Zach Miller's dad? I said, yeah. I said, do you know him? She said, I've been in love with him for years. I said, do you know him? She says, no, I've never met him, but I see him on Facebook and, or Instagram, and I, all my friends share stuff, and he's the most gorgeous boy. Oh, can you give me his number? I said, well, let me show you his girlfriend. He was in his next picture was him and his girlfriend. But anyway, I said this. I said, I said, God gave me that boy, and so let me tell you what God did. God gave him a four-year scholarship to college, and God got him through all four years, and God helped him graduate, and God got him a good job in Charleston, and God, and God, and God, and God, and God, and God, and God. It's easy. We talk about ourselves all the time. Do you think that you got all those blessings on your own? I don't think so. They came from who? Okay, listen, it's good news. John 3, 17 says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world will be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news. When Jesus met the woman who was married five times and lived with her, he didn't tell her that stuff to tell her how bad she was. He told her that stuff to tell her, I know everything about you and I still want you on my team. When he went to Zacchaeus, he didn't, you know, Zacchaeus was seeing, he said, I want to come eat lunch with you today. He was never concerned with the sin, and you shouldn't be either. Jesus will take care of the sin. 
just like he's taking care of your sin. It's about winning them to the Lord. Um, uh, Steve Jobs, he, is the, he was one of the most brilliant minds who ever lived. He's the guy that created Apple. And when he was a little kid, little baby, he was adopted by this couple, and they raised him as a Lutheran. They went to church every Sunday. Steve Jobs, he went to children's church, you know, heard all the Bible stories and all that. When he became a teenager, he gave up on Christianity, and he started following other religions. And, and they never really fulfilled him uh, in any way. But fast forward to, to a few years ago, he's 56 years old, and he's dying of pancreatic cancer. On his deathbed, with his family around him, uh, in his final breath, final breath, Steve Jobs looks up with his eyes real big in great anticipation and almost excitement. And he says three times, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. I believe that was him going to heaven. Now, if it was hell, he would have said, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> He said, oh, wow. You think, well, how could he go to heaven? He didn't serve God. He didn't do this. Let me give you a scripture to show you how good God is. Luke 23, 42. It says, one of the criminals, not the good people that did good things but didn't know God, one of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He never walked an aisle. He never said the sinner's prayer. He never got baptized in water. He never attended church. He never used his gifts and talents for God. But he's in heaven waiting on us that's the goodness of God and it's so easy to tell people that he's good I mean you talk about how good you are sometimes talk about how good he is sometimes so you are salt that's it so that's that's talking the talk okay talking the talk is salt light point number two is this you are light this is walking the walk it's walking the walk. This is an obvious thing. Um, John 8, 12. Now, real quick, Matthew 5, our main scripture that your Bibles are turned to, he says that we're the light. Everybody say, I am the light. Okay, but that's weird to me because in John, he says he's the light. He says he's the light. Now watch this. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke again. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 9. Verse 5, he says it again. As long as I am on earth, as long as I'm here, I am the light of the world. Now, I'm about to read you a scripture in John chapter 12. But before I do, I want to preface it to tell you what's going on, okay? So John 12, Jesus is preparing his disciples uh, for the crucifixion and what's going to happen. He's preparing them for the end in John 12. In John 13, he washes their feet. In John 14, 15, and 16 is the conversation of the Last Supper. In John 17 is the prayer in the garden. Uh, John 18 is when he's arrested. John 19 is when he's crucified. John 20 is when he rises and appears to just a few. John 21, uh, he appears to his disciples eight days later, okay? So I'm wanting you to know that John 12 starts this process. It starts the process from I'm going to leave you to wash your feet to the Last Supper to being arrested and, and then on the cross. So you understand what John 12 does. Do you understand? John 12 starts the process of I'm about to leave earth and I'm, I'm about to die on the cross and I won't be here forever. Okay. So John 12:35, Jesus said to them this, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become 
sons of light. So Jesus is not on earth walking around in a flesh body, but his flesh body is on earth. Jesus is not walking on earth. He's not going to come. He's not going to, until the second coming, he's not coming down here to walk around and tell people about him. But his body is on earth. It's just not one flesh body. It's the body of Christ. You understand? Because we are the hands of Jesus. We are the feet, the Bible says, okay? Listen, Jesus is not going to come down and shine a light. He's, until, he's not, until the second coming, he's not going to come to earth, show up, and shine a light to everybody. Here's the way to heaven. He's not going to do it. But guess what? We are his light. In other words, the only light this dark world has is you. And if you don't shine your light, it's going to get darker and darker and darker and darker. Okay, let's do a little experiment. Everybody got your flashlights? I want you to shine your lights on me. So everybody shine your flashlights on me. Everybody got your flashlight. Now that's weird. Hold on, hold on. Turn your lights off. That's weird. Hold on. I, no, 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 no. I thought, I thought it would be brighter than that. Let's try it again. Everybody shine your light on me one more time. Let me see. That's weird. Don't no, no, turn it off. It's, I thought it would be more impactful. I thought that if we all turned on our light, there would be like an obvious thing. But for some reason, in this room, it's not very obvious. While we're, at, we're, we're in church, your light doesn't really make that big of a difference. Do you know why? Because there's a bunch of light in the room. Okay, turn the lights off. Now shine your light. Oh, I wish y'all could see what I see. Can y'all see what I see? Shine it back at the camera. Shine it behind you with the camera so everybody behind you can. Now that makes a difference, doesn't it? Shine it back at me. We could do that all day. I just think that's cool. Do like this now. Shine on your face like it's kind of. Now shine in your mouth so I can see if you got any cavities. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Turn the lights on. Okay. Here's the point. The purpose of light is to shine in the dark. It's easy for you to encourage people in church because we're Christians. It's easy for you to prophesy to somebody and say, you know, the Lord gave me a word for you. You're going to be blessed this week. God's going to do great things. It's easy. But can you do it somewhere where there's dark? It's easy to have integrity here at church because we all got integrity because we're all Christians. Can you do it when you're at work? It's easy when you're hanging out with Christian friends and, and somebody starts gossiping and you say, oh, I don't want to hear about that. You know, we shouldn't do that. It's easy. But what about when you got people that don't know Jesus? Can you do it with them? That's the point I'm making. Salt, put on the screen, is an internal influence. Light's an external influence. Salt is a covert influence. Light is an overt influence. Salt is a subtle influence. Light is an obvious influence. Salt is talking the talk and light is walking the walk. And my question is, can you do that where there's darkness in the world? That's what we equip you for when you come to church. So in the Old Testament, one time, uh, Daniel was facing these men who were basically living in the dark, right? And they were so mad that Daniel was getting promoted and good things were happening to him. So they went to the king and they said, we need to start a new law. Now, I want you to just hear how this is kind of what's going on in our world today with city council and things in our, in our city, okay? They said, we're going to pass a new law. Everybody that prays to the king is good, and if you don't pray to the king, you get thrown in the, in the lion's den. 
right? We don't, we don't want this Christian stuff around here. We don't want you to, you know, do like, we don't want you, you're not allowed to pray to God anymore, all that kind of stuff. So what did Daniel do? Did Daniel pick it? Did he, did he scream and have a hissy fit and, and, and try to argue with them and tell them how, you know, it's not fair because y'all want inclusivity, but you won't include, you won't include us? Where you won't include Christians and you're fighting for it to be inclusive and you won't include Christians. They, they, don't, they don't even understand that kind of thing. And now here's what Daniel did in Daniel 6.10. When he heard about the law, when he heard about the law, he returned home and prayed the same way he had always done. He simply did this. He just kept shining his light. He, he didn't let the world change him. He just kept doing what he knew he should do. Now here's what I want to tell you. You got to learn how to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. A thermometer measures the temperature in the room and adjusts to that. In other words, if you're a thermometer and you walk in and everybody's being negative, you just start being negative too. If you're a thermometer and everybody's, you know, talking bad about somebody, you just talk, talk bad about them too. If you're a thermometer and somebody's telling dirty jokes, you just throw a dirty joke in there too. That's a thermometer. A thermostat determines the temperature and everything else around it adjusts to it. That's a thermostat. That's what we've been called to be is thermostats. They change the temperature in the room. In other words, don't let the dark influence you. You influence the dark. So they threw Daniel in the lion's den. But whenever we shine our light, I believe that's when Jesus gives us supernatural strength to get through. He kept shining his light. In verse 22, it says this, God sent his angel to shut the mouth of the lions. Verse 26, so the king made a new law. I now command that everyone should respect Daniel's living God. He changed an entire nation simply by living as a light. He wasn't afraid of the darkness. You say, well, I hate my job and these people, they cuss all the time and they, they do dirty things. Why do you think God put you at that job? How are they going to see the light if it's not from you? You're the light. Don't add to the darkness. Turn your light on. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 says, your very lives are a letter that's read by all men. People aren't reading the Bible because they're not Christians. They're reading you. They're reading your social media. They're seeing how you respond to adversity. They're seeing what you do when the boss doesn't treat you right. They're seeing what you say about the boss in those times. They're seeing how you spend your money. They're seeing how you treat your family. Um, my friend Mark, you know, he's my best buddy, and he plays piano when I'm not here a lot, and he owns a nightclub. And uh, we've known each other since the 90s. And um, he, is, he was a jerk. I mean, he was a jerk from hell. For, wait, are we, we recording this service? <laughs> I was, uh, okay, he was, uh, he was okay. He just wasn't that nice. And um, he was self-centered and selfish and, and everything else. And that's the end of that story. Okay, next scripture. So here we go. No. Um, and so for, for six and a half years, after I started pastoring, for six and a half years, I texted him every Saturday or called him before there was texting. I would call him, and then when we got texting, I started texting, and I'd invite him to church. I just kept shining my light. And he would say mean things, and he would be a jerk back, and then I just, next week, I'd just keep inviting him to church. After six, and listen, don't ever stop shining your light. If they might not respond the first time, the second time. They might not respond the 500th time. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. That's your, that's your job. The Holy Spirit will convict. You just keep shining your light. So finally, one Sunday, he decided he was going to come to church. And he came to church, and he helped me build Solid Rock, and he, uh, he got saved, gave his life to the Lord. And, and he's not a perfect person. None of us are. Uh, but he knows how to shine his light. And do you know that over 25 people have come to church because in, in the clubs, at the nightclub, he invites them to church at the nightclub. 
and over 25 have come to church. And of the 25, over half of them have gotten saved. Of those half, a lot of them are leaders in our church and very, very good friends uh, because a nightclub owner invited them to church. In fact, um, in, in the beginning, there was this young guy that um, he, he, he brought to church. He brought this young, he picked the kid up, brought him to church, and the kid came to church maybe, maybe two dozen times. And, uh, and then the kid moved to Conway and you know, had, I didn't hear from him much. Well, just this past week, this kid calls me and I, I just happened not to answer my phone and I was busy and it went to voicemail and I want to play you the voicemail because he has a phrase in there that I cannot believe this kid said this phrase. Play, play, the, play the voicemail. What's going on, John Paul? Kyle, I'm just driving home from work and uh, just was thinking how awesome it is to have the, the Lord in my life and I just wanted to say thank you for being a great pastor. How awesome it is to have the Lord in my life. Like this, the Lord's in his life. And I found out he's going to a church in Conway. <clears throat> he's, he's dating um, Hunter Renfro's sister or whatever. Good relationship. Going to church. Love The Lord in my life. I would have never thought this kid would say that. I would have never thought this. You know why he did? Because a nightclub owner brought him to church. What if everybody in this room brought one person to church next? Well, I didn't quite think that through, but you know what? You should do it anyway. Never, you should do it anyway. You say, man, I'd never, I'd never hang out with a homosexual, or I could never go out to lunch with somebody living in sin, or I could never hang out. They use profanity all the time. How are they going to see the light? Jesus was never scared of their sin. He just kept shining his light. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, now God is shining his light in our hearts so that his glory is seen in Jesus. I got another video I want to show you, okay? It's one of my favorite member videos. It's of Nathan, and, um, and I'll probably watch it a hundred times, but I want you to see this. I want you to see this. Go ahead, play it. I heard about Solid Rock through DJ Brummett, who invited me after my, uh, my grandma passed. And he invited my whole family here, and I'm just the one that's stuck here going ever since, and it's, it's been incredible. So Something amazing God's done in my life is that I used to be an atheist, and it really, this has drawn me in um, so deeply. And then even with our friends group, you know, we've given up um, addictions, we've given up idols, we've given up bad behaviors, you know, even foul language is just gone. Okay, do you hear what he said? I used to be an atheist. Do you hear why he's in church? Because DJ invited me to church. Now, if DJ had been living his life like all the other teenagers, I don't think Nathan would have followed him to church. If he had been just, you know, cussing like everybody else or doing drugs or his social media was, you know, showing his booty or whatever, I don't know what people do, then I'm sure Nathan would have thought, well, I, which we know DJ before he got saved, he was showing his booty a lot. But I don't think Nathan would have thought, I'm going to follow this guy to church. It was the fact that he saw how he lived that gained the respect and influence for him to go to church when DJ invited him to church. And now we got another one on our team. And all of heaven rejoiced when that happened too, from atheists to disciples. So, so I want to close with this. How does salt lose its flavor? How does salt lose its flavor? Okay, so in Matthew 5, uh, you see that phrase, when it loses its flavor, it's good for nothing, okay? Lose its flavor comes from a Greek word you can put up on the screen. It's a Greek word, moreno which is where we get the English word moron from. And it means to become foolish, okay? So the Greek word moreno is moron, and it's the same, uh, same exact word for lose its flavor, or the two Greek words become foolish, same thing. Okay, and I'm going to show you a scripture. Romans 1.21, they knew God. I want you to see they knew God. Okay? They, it's not like they didn't know God. They knew God. 
But they did not glorify him as God, nor did they give him thanks. Their thinking lost its flavor. Their thinking became foolish, and their hearts, there was no light. Their hearts were darkened. So how does salt become bad? Well, before I tell you how salt becomes bad, let me tell you how salt stays good. The best salt is the salt that's found close to the rock, and it stays purified by the washing of water over it close to the rock. I hope you got that. The best salt is close to the rock. The rock is Jesus. And it stays pure from the grime and the dirt and the bugs and all that by the water constantly washing it up against the rock. Stay close to Jesus and in the Word. Otherwise, we become foolish and we lose our witness. So are you the salt? Say, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you the light? Say, oh yeah. oh yeah. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We want to give you a minute to hear from Jesus. I want you to make a commitment today that anytime you talk to somebody about anything good in your life, you bring up God. Talk about your school, that you've got an A plus, your job, your friend, your girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever, whatever's good in your life, your family, your car, whatever the vacation we, you went on, whatever's good in your life, I want you to make a commitment today that you will start involving God in those conversations. You don't got to know proper theology. Actually, proper theology is God is good all the time. So if you got that, you're good. You don't got to have a verse memorized. You don't have to know exactly how to lead them in a sinner's prayer. They might, the only thing they might say on their deathbed is, remember me. <laughs> but it could be the conversation that you have with them that brings them to that place when they're on their deathbed or sometime in the future. So if you're here today and you have not been involving God like you should, and you want to make that commitment to start today, can you lift your hands so I can pray for you right now? So hands up, 30 seconds. Lord, give us the conviction, the strength, the encouragement to bring up the best thing in our life. When we talk to people, Lord, Remind us to passionately bring you up with gratitude, with vigor, with excitement, with zeal, with enthusiasm. Let me tell you how good God's been. Let me tell you, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for God. I wouldn't have this job if it weren't for God. I wouldn't be this healthy if it weren't for God. And Lord, we repent for removing you out of our conversations. We repent for putting the focus on ourselves and what we've accomplished when we know that apart from you, we can do absolutely nothing. 
So we thank you, Lord, for turning us into evangelistic witnesses for you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's stand.